welcome back to Bulls with the Bard. My name is Cakes. I am your host. Today we are ringing in season two with something a little bit different. We have one of my best friends and also the graphic designer for basically anything Bulls with the Bard that you see with us today. Her, their, both. Her name is Liz Colandini, and she is going to interview me today so y'all can have a chance to kind of get to know me a little bit better. Liz, before we get started, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks. Hi, everybody. I'm Liz. I am a theater producer, actor, performer, uh, visual artist, uh, in the DMV area, Michaela and I met at Catholic University where we went to school and I have a little bit of interview uh, knowledge of back when I had a weekly over the quarantine, a show called Chat and Sips where we sat down with uh, performers and producers, directors from previous workhouse shows where I work and I interviewed them, talked about theater with them and and the rest is history, really. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm bad about talking about myself. I've I, I've been um, asked to write several bios recently, and they took hours because I was like, I I don't want I don't know. <laughs> I feel that bios are the bane of my existence. Don't make me talk about myself as we dive into this podcast where I talk about myself. Uh, <laughs> but awesome. Okay, well. Uh, before we dive into our interview, uh, I don't know. Are you getting high with me today, Lizzie? I keep going back and forth about it. You don't. We have don't to. have any alcohol in our <laughs> in, in our house. <laughs> You're also welcome to like sip on water or whatever you want to. Uh, yeah, I might just eat my leftover. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have leftovers from my Easter Sunday dinner, which is, we do a very non-traditional uh, kebab and, Medi or and Middle Eastern food because my uncle's from Afghanistan, so he picks up kebab and uh, yeah. <laughs> That's cool as fuck. I love that. <laughs> yeah, a little intersectionality for this Easter Sunday. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I will get high and Lizzie will eat her kebab. <laughs> All right, y'all, we are back. And I guess this is the point of the interview at which I will turn things over to Liz. <laughs> Let's do it. Sweet. <laughs> All right. So first off, can you tell us a bit about your upbringing, where you grew up and where you went to school and yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised in two kind of, well, they're not small anymore, but when I grew up in them, they were super small towns called Sandy and Draper, Utah. Um, I definitely had like an interesting experience growing up in Utah. Uh, the first question I always get when I tell people that I grew up there is like, oh, are you Mormon? And <laughs> no, I'm not. And I never have been. My uh, my parents ended up in Utah because uh, the Mormons have a great record of 
ancestry and my dad works in probate research. So they moved to Utah for work. Um, and uh, yeah, so the experience of growing up in Utah as like a Catholic in Utah was definitely interesting. I feel like we were always kind of more liberal than the people around us, which isn't always the Catholic <laughs> experience of That's things. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I went to uh, a high school called Juan Diego Catholic High School, which was like this lovely little Catholic community away from like the Mormon central Utah where we could all kind of bond and it was it was a a lovely way to grow up. I I had like a great little theater community there, and I was like the youth group president <laughs> in <laughs> high school. Um, I was a little more religious in high school back then. So, yeah, that's a that's a little bit about me <laughs> growing up. I feel you. I I feel like a lot of people who had religious parents were a little bit more religious and in uh you know elementary through high school i i was too so yeah yeah my parents were definitely also more into it when we grew up but they've we've we've all kind of stepped away from it now which is interesting so, so have my parents yeah my mom huh. like well she taught at a catholic school for a long time and then she um or two catholic schools yeah two catholic schools um and then actually there's a funny Shakespeare story in there. Um, back when she taught fifth grade, she would have to teach Midsummer Night's Dream. She would bring me and my best friend in to like help with the acting. And because we were, I think we were in middle school at the time. So we came in and like s tutored the students on how to do the acting, even though we didn't know anything. But it was fun. <laughs> All the kids were doing, they would always do a dramatic reinterpretation of the of the rude mechanicals stuff Ooh, uh -huh. yeah and it was always so cute how they oh they would get so into it with the chink in the wall and that they <laughs> loved it um oh my gosh I love that so much and I didn't know your mom was a teacher my mom also taught in catholic schools so that's yeah that's a cool thing I didn't know we had in common <laughs> that's awesome yeah yeah so yeah but she's since stepped away she just like doesn't like all, all the bad stuff that's happened in religion has really turned her off to it just to organize religion in general but yeah 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 I think my parents and I are the same yep absolutely um yeah so segueing into you know so what got you interested in theater you said that you that you had sort of a close-knit community out in Utah yeah yeah um when I was in I think fourth grade my parents took my brother and I to New York City to visit my uncle who has lived out there for a long time and at the time he had a connection with the producer of thoroughly modern millie so he was able to get us like super cheap and super nice tickets to go see that show while like sutton was in the show and like all these crazy big name actors were in the show and then afterward he like took us backstage and like showed us what the stage looked like from like that perspective and so we got cool. to meet Sutton Foster in her wig cap <laughs> um yeah uh so that whole experience was like shiny and magical and I like 
somehow, someway had never really experienced live theater until I saw my first Broadway musical. Wow. Um, So yeah, that was kind of like the click moment of like, I look up to my uncle TJ and I loved what I just experienced there. So maybe I'll uh, give that a shot. And yeah, I, I really lucked out. I, uh, after that stumbled upon like a theater group called up with kids in, uh, Sandy, Utah. And, uh, we did quote unquote Shrek the musical and high school musical, but like before either of those things actually existed on <laughs> That's stage. Amazing. Yes. So like, <laughs> I think in like fourth or fifth grade, I played Fiona's Frog King dad in Fake Shrek the Musical. Too good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, From there, I just kind of like went on and did it in high school and and kept on loving it. So that was like my start. (laughs) That's awesome. Wow, I actually didn't know that. I knew that that your uncle was like, had connections to like Broadway and stuff like that but I did not know that that was your first introduction that's so cool (laughs) yeah it was an epic introduction to theater absolutely yeah um so so now how did that sort of love of musical theater and and like the big glitzy big white way transfer into Shakespeare so I went to school with you at with Catholic me. <laughs> University uh, for musical theater. And kind of by my junior year, I was like, this doesn't really feel like it's working out for me. Like I hadn't really been cast in anything. I'd done like a couple professional things, but they had all been plays. And so I was kind of like, I don't know. I like, I know I have a good voice. I know I can act but I don't know if I'm like super great at combining the two of those things at the same time. Like, I don't know if I'm always super connected. I don't know. And like, yeah, just like the evidence of school was telling me like, "Mm, maybe if you can't get a part at school, uh, the professional world of musical theater is going to be a little rough for you, pal. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I will say (laughs) that you know, the people who were choosing the people at school weren't exactly the best of people. So maybe it wasn't just that. But yes, you were. But yes, I, I could. I understand your plight there. Yes, yes. And that is that is a valid point to add. <laughs> we had some interesting folks we were dealing with at that university. But uh, halfway through junior year, I went to London and studied abroad for a semester at the London Dramatic Academy. And in the midst of that, I kind of brought my struggles to my Shakespeare teacher. And I was like, I just don't, I'm just really struggling with all of this. Like I, I know that I love it, but it never seems to like fully click. It never seems to fully work out. And it just kind of feels like nobody wants to tell me like, no, you're not actually good enough to do this. Like, so I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And it was kind of the halfway point of the semester. And she looked at me and she was like, look, taste is objective. Like, 
some people are going to love something that other people are absolutely going to hate. Some people are going to think that actors are brilliant and other people are going to hate that actor. Mm -hmm. Like if this is what you want to do with your life, you just have to decide like, are you committed enough? And are you confident enough in yourself to be able to make that happen? And if you're committed enough, like I see that you work hard, just continue to do that work. And like, you know, I can't make that decision for you. You have to make that decision for you. And at that point I was like, well, I still have half a semester left in London. Like might as well like grind. So I really tried to like put an effort into her class specifically. And the week before we like finished up with everything, um, we were prepping for our showcase because the last week our parents were going to come and like watch us do what we had learned over the last four months of our lives. And we had a class that we were just kind of performing what we were going to perform for them for our classmates. And I got up and did a Juliet monologue. And after I finished, my teacher like stopped the whole class and was like, that is what Shakespeare should look like. And it's because she put in the work to make sure that she was doing what Shakespeare should look like. And I was like, I I feel like the whole time we were at Catholic up until that point, I had never been validated in that way. And it was kind of like, oh, okay, I am at least good at this when I put in the work to be good at it. So I kind of sunk my claws in and the following summer, an opportunity came up to do an internship with the Commonwealth Shakespeare Company in Boston. And that just kind of solidified everything for me. It was like two months of getting to study just Shakespeare from people who were just as passionate about it as I was. And at the end of that experience, then like basically two weeks of getting to sit on the Boston Common and watch these incredible actors perform King Lear every night. And that was just kind of like it for me. Like after that point, I was like, I love this as much as I always loved musical theater. And I think I've received enough proof at this point that I have what it takes to do it. So yeah, that that's kind of how the, the Shakespeare love evolved. That's beautiful. It also just goes to show you too, that like, <laughs> To be a good teacher, you're not just providing information to your students. You also need to validate them when they do the work and when they achieve something. Like, I totally agree. I think our time at university wasn't always very good because there were only a few professors that really validated students for good work. And yeah, it did. It did really like put a damper on a lot of people's careers because of that but because you were able to sort of break away from that and find a teacher a professor that really cared about your growth like that validation's everything yeah truly truly and you really I think only do need that like one mentor who like really believes in you to to spark so you know shout out to Yolanda Vasquez I love that woman she's amazing yes oh yeah um when I studied abroad after 
uh, junior year in Bavaria, my voice teacher, Richard Owens, who sadly passed away last year, um, he was like, I think almost a hundred though. So he, Holy yeah, shit. he, he lived a full life. He was like a famous opera singer. Like he, he killed, like I had never had a, a teacher that just like, was like, you're amazing and you can do this and you just need to focus your energy this way to make it good. And like, that was everything. That was everything. Yes. I came back to senior year with a whole new mindset. And even if I you know, wasn't going to get any shows or not going to do this, that, or the other thing. I knew that I was, I was talented, you know, and that's it. And that's just, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what like our whole class needed to be able to come back for senior year and survive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We had a rough, I, why we were the black sheep of, okay, it's okay. fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know why, but we were, <laughs> you know, shake it off, shake it off all of that good stuff. <laughs> that's for another podcast <laughs> about trauma <laughs> uh, uh, moving on yeah so uh, what has been your favorite Shakespeare experience Ooh, I think it's kind of a tie between two and they were somewhat similar. Um, the first was working with the Baltimore Shakespeare Factory, um, getting to play Helena in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, that's just like the professional experience that I like got the role that I wanted to get when I auditioned for the show. And then on top of it, it was my second summer doing Shakespeare in the Park. And I already knew from the summer before that, that I like loved it. And then like getting to do Shakespeare in the Park, playing a role that was like a dream to get to play on top of getting to work with like so many of the other actors in that play were so good so much fun to like even if I couldn't watch the play just like sit backstage and listen to deliver the text so that was one of them the second is uh I did Love's Labor's Lost at Chesapeake Shakespeare Company um they do uh Shakespeare in the Park every summer as well that is at let's see if I can pronounce this correctly Patapsco Female Institute has like ruins in this park um in maryland and it's just this like stunning outdoor venue um i like like i said about midsummer like i just love the shakespeare in the park experience like there is nothing more magical to me than like being able to be on stage outdoor see like an audience having a great time like having picnics while they're watching you do Shakespeare and then like you look out over the audience and it's like beautiful nature is what you get to see while you're doing Shakespeare like absolutely amazing and also makes for the like most crazy zany things because when you add nature to doing what is already insane live theater like shit just happens that you're like holy what I didn't know these things could happen so like during that experience we had one night that we were like all hanging out backstage and then it got like really quiet really slowly and then all of a sudden everybody was like looking up at a wall 
because there was like probably a two and a half foot snake slithering up the wall of the ruins that was our backstage area and oh my god we had to like go get park rangers while the show was going on and try to like deal with the snake problem without <laughs> alerting the audience that there was a snake problem <laughs> um there's like the two polar opposite ends of the elements where like on the one hand you come in every day not knowing if you're going to be able to finish the show because in the middle of summer in Maryland you might get pouring rain and lightning storms and you can't finish an outdoor show if there's lightning mm -hmm. but then there's the flip side of things where like oh hi it's 115 heat index and uh your scene partner over there they're uh they're starting to like go a little crazy from the heat. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have to keep an eye on that guy. Make sure he doesn't pass out while we're on stage. Like all of that stuff probably sounds really stressful to most people, but like it's exciting and exhilarating and like zany in the best way and bonds a cast in the best way. Um so yeah, those those were like my two favorite Shakespeare experiences. I don't know if I said when I worked with Chesapeake, I was doing Love's Labor's Lost. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that I also just like adore that play. Um, and it's one that I don't think everybody gets a whack at. So you're totally right, because I could not tell you one thing about that. Place. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. That play is I think the only reason I love that play so much is because I, A, have had such a great experience being in it, and then B, like, my favorite filmed production of Shakespeare is that play, but, like, it's, it's hard Shakespeare. It's a very, very wordy Shakespeare, so mm. not many people go for it. Yeah. Don't blame them. <laughs> uh, what do you like to do when you're not doing theater stuff? It's a good question. Um, I think first and foremost, I'm like a mega Real Salt Lake fan. Um, my dad has always been super into soccer. He was my soccer coach from the time I was like four until the time I was like 14 but in that decade I only scored like one goal um <laughs> so uh we realized that Michaela was not a soccer player um but around the same time that we realized that Utah got a soccer team for the first time and my dad got us season tickets and we had se season tickets until I graduated from high school um so I am obsessed diehard RSL till I die fan and I spent probably more time than I should following news about the team and watching games and obsessing over players and who's been traded and all of that stuff but yeah that's that's one thing I like to do like arts and crafts. I'm definitely um not skilled in that department. Um I I always like to say like I got like the the performing arts genes, but the visual arts genes, the hands, they don't agree with the vision and and the eyes. So it it just doesn't happen, but I still like to like doodle and I 
semi knit. I use like a loom to make scarves and hats, um, stuff like that. Still kind of theater connected, but I make fuck tons of TikToks. Yes. <laughs> um, that are Shakespeare themed on a channel called 10K Shakespeare which is based off of, I mean, also still theater, but I, I'm working toward 10,000 hours of Shakespeare practice. Um, I mean, not Shakespeare. I like to read. And uh, one of the authors that I love is Malcolm Gladwell. And in one of his books, he talks about the idea that if you practice something for 10,000 hours, you become a master of that thing. And my dad had also kind of raised me on that idea before I read it in his book. So that inspired me to to do that, to go like ham <laughs> on, <laughs> on Shakespeare hours. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Other than that, like I, I watch a lot of TV and play a lot of Mario Party. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of the some non-theater stuff <laughs> it's good to any theater people listening it's especially if you do theater as like one of your jobs like it's good to have other hobbies and other sources of joy uh in your life I know back when we were in college Michael Bobbitt was like doing a master class and he mentioned at one point like if you're doing this professionally this is your job like you can love it but also you need to take a break too so yeah yeah having those those things that you can do to just rest your mind is super important yeah I I always say like you can't play a good human unless you're like actually being a human and being 100% an actor <laughs> is not knowing what it means to be a human you've got to yep. have other interests and loves and passions and mm -hmm. ups and downs that happen outside of the industry absolutely yeah yeah because I know some some people that can definitely myself included like can get a little bit too wrapped up in all the theater things and then you're like wait we're not doing rocket science here <laughs> it ain't that deep <laughs> we all do it it's a rough industry so <laughs> i feel like it's easy to like cling to both the ups and downs of absolutely yes for sure another question for you yes. um i did want to know so you moved to colorado fairly recently um what is your ultimate goal for shakespeare in colorado Ooh, that's a great question. I have to be slightly vague because things <laughs> are still in the works. Um, but the hope is that like Bulls with the Bard is going to evolve a little bit and that we are going to become a company that presents kind of high theater in general, um, some of which will be Shakespeare and others of which, you know, we're we're starting to think about the idea of like, having high comedy nights, um, like stand-up improv 
things like that. And then also looking into like, okay, what else is free domain? Like, could Chekhov be fun high? What would that experience <laughs> be like, you know? Um, and so, yeah, thinking of, thinking about things like that. So that's kind of uh, like the purpose of being in Colorado is like, it is, I I think, I have to double check, but I think currently the only place in the United States where there are locations kind of like in Amsterdam where you can go and smoke in that location with other people. Um, and so it provides the opportunity for us to find locations that will allow us to come in and invade and do some Shakespeare for like a night or two. So yeah, that's that's kind of like the big purpose of of being out here. I wish I could go into more detail about that, but we're we're re-signing contracts on things. So I can't I can't talk too much about things, but things are in the works. So that's so exciting. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what a great idea. That's that is so fun. Yeah, I'm very I wanna, excited. I want to come out. Not for it, if I can ever come out and perform with you guys, I would totally do it. Not, I don't think I'm cut out for Shakespeare to be honest. <laughs> I love it. I don't know if I have the brain cells to do all the work for it. <laughs> That's fair. It's a lot of work. I like enjoy the puzzling of all of it, but it is definitely not for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I love, I think it's so cool um but yeah no I'm just I'm like my style where I feel like we're like two sides of the same coin I'm like so into campy musical theater like that's where my like acting expertise lies like I can be campy all day long but <laughs> yes you can <laughs> <laughs> but Shakespeare Shakespeare scares me but I know when I we when I watch it, I love it. I'm like, this is great, yeah. And then, but ha yeah, having done one show where I like, I did one show. I mean, I didn't have any speaking lines except for some pre-recorded stuff when we were like the goddesses. But uh, yeah, like that was about the extent of like how I can contribute to the Shakespeare world, <laughs> running around with ribbons and crap. <laughs> well, if you ever want any more advice on it and do have an interest in diving in I'm always happy to to give tips and tricks that'd be great yeah because the other thing is like I'm just scared like if I ever did a Shakespeare and like I like by some god like act of god I got cast in a Shakespeare I would feel like such an imposter like imposter syndrome would take over because that's the other thing because I haven't I mean I've done like some workshops Shakespeare workshops done a couple coachings about Shakespeare monologues but like I don't I you know like you're over here doing 10,000 hours I'm like I don't, <laughs> I don't I know bet. if I can do it <laughs> I bet you could I bet you could I have the faith <laughs> so jumping into like our our last question to like wrap things up with a bow we're gonna talk about season two of your of your podcast season two of bowls with the bard's gonna be about the problem plays which it was really fun drawing that 
uh, design for you. It took me a while to figure out what to do because I was like, problems. And I was like, is Titus Andronicus a problem pay? I could have him with a pie, like baking up like a weed pie, but maybe for a future graphic, we could do that. I was actually at, I was sitting in the lobby during um, the show that I'm producing, You're in Town, was happening. <laughs> and my friend was trying to help me with it. And I was like, oh, what am I just shrugging? I don't know. It turned out really cute. <laughs> I love him so much. He might be like my favorite one that you've done. I also just love the little like smoke question mark. It's perfect. <laughs> yes, that came out organically as I was just, I was like, just, I'm going to have him shrug it. I just made him shrug it. I was like, oh, smoke could be a question mark. Oh. I'm so cool. <laughs> you are so cool. <laughs> Literally every time I get a graphic back from you, I'm like, Jonathan, look. <laughs> Definitely like that. That one's one of my favorite Billies I've done, but I got to say I'm most proud of the Around the Canon in 80 Days graphic. Like that came out really good. <laughs> I also loved that. I loved me in that. <laughs> you did such a good job. Thank you. Yeah, I love doing the graphics. Um, so great problem plays. <laughs> Going back to that, uh, can you, you talk a little bit why you wanted to talk about these plays and what the season will cover? I did want to mention that like when I was like making the graphic, I was doing some research on the problem plays. And it looks like so there's like two plays that are like officially considered problem or they were in like the 1800s or something called the problem <laughs> place but i know you're incorporating a lot more into them and ones that i think are actually more of a problem but tell me about it all <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you're kind of right on the money for that like there are certain plays that are specifically categorized as problem plays i think think and I will probably get this wrong off the top of my head but I think they're like measure for measure all's well that ends well Troilus and Cressida Timon of Athens and the Winter's Tale mm. I think those are like the actual most scholars agree like these are problem plays and the like first most popular definition of problem plays that I think got defined I'm probably wrong about this too. It was like in the 1800s or something like that. Yeah, that's what when I was like looking at Wikipedia, I think it said something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like that first definition is something along the lines of like, it's hard to tell if this is a comedy or a tragedy. Like the tone of this is just really weird. And so that makes it difficult to produce, difficult for an audience to kind of understand what they're watching. Um, and like, that makes sense to me. But at the same time, you like add that label of problem play to those plays and it makes it so I think people who are especially not necessarily Shakespeare people become like intimidated by something like that. They're like, what are, a problem play? Like, how do I address something like that? And so for those five plays specifically, they're all kind of plays that like I actually think are really good plays and they they don't get done very much because of that problem play label or because they they are a little more tricky to approach. And so for those five plays, my want was to discuss them because like, I want to see more of them. I'd love to see what people have to say with something like Timon of Athens that of course is really hard to produce, but like 
the production of it that I've seen that I really liked, I was like, whoa, that's really topical. <laughs> like it's very late stage capitalism feeling. Um, yeah. So like, there's some interesting things about those plays that I'm like, I want to see people explore those more. Like what, what conversations can we have surrounding that to kind of illuminate those texts, make them feel a little less scary, make them feel more exciting. And then on the flip side of things, we also have five plays. We'll see if I can remember them off the top of my head. Oh, actually, Merchant of Venice does fall into that first category. But Merchant mm -hmm. of Venice is also decidedly on this other hand. Um, so Merchant of Venice, Othello, Taming of the Shrew, The Tempest, and... Ooh, what's the last one? There's definitely one that I'm missing. One sec, I'm gonna pull it up on my phone. Lego. Thinking of plays, but I don't. I can't remember if they have anything problematic in that. <laughs> oh, and Twelfth Night, the play that oh. I'm in right now. That's <laughs> why. It's why I couldn't think about it because it's it's slightly doesn't belong as much on the same hand as the rest of them um but you get these plays that are not technically considered problem plays um but that like the second kind of more recent definition of problem play is like a play that presents material that's kind of problematic or like difficult to address for the time period that it's being produced in and a lot of the people who have, I actually think all of the people who have defined what a problem play is and who have potentially added plays to that category, they've all really been scholars. And I think scholars are great. They add so much to the work that like we do on stage in Shakespeare. But at the same time, I don't know that they, they're always like coming at things from an audience experience so much as like really diving into what the text is saying. And so I kind of wanted to look at some of these other plays that don't typically get categorized as problem plays, which by the way, can't remember his name. One of the scholars who defined what a problem play is went to Catholic university, which was an interesting tidbit. I didn't know until so like interesting. today. Yeah. <laughs> cool. But uh, I feel like these other five plays explore content that is tricky for for 2023 right like Othello deals with a lot of racism yeah. uh Merchant of Venice the anti-semitism is just off the freaking charts in that play mm -hmm. um Twelfth Night I added to this list because last year I was in a Twelfth Night class and one of my classmates, Kai, who will be on the Twelfth Night episode this season. I'm very oh, excited about it. Um, <laughs> he brought a lot of perspective as a trans person to like how the character of Viola dressing up as a man can change a lot if that character is trans femme or trans mask and how Ooh. a play that's a comedy technically like doesn't necessarily feel that way anymore if like the end of the play is a return to gender norms that's being celebrated by most of the characters on stage right um so we're gonna explore a little bit of that with kai and then also a little bit of just 12th night is considered to be 
what people call like a melancholic comedy, which it's like, okay, if the definition of problem play is we can't tell if this is a comedy or a tragedy, then how is Twelfth Night not in that? (laughs) Yeah. And maybe it's because everybody all the scholars are like but we like that one uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's it's a little easier to figure that one out so so yeah that's uh that's why that plays there and then uh taming of the shrew deals with gross amounts of sexism um and then uh tempest i think presents some some like colonialism problems that we don't always address prospero is a super problematic character oh Um, yeah so we're gonna try to talk through some of those things and talk about how not necessarily with all five of those plays but certainly with some of them you know they get produced a lot and maybe some of them shouldn't be or we there should be boundaries on who is tackling these plays so so that's kind of the second half of things the second half of why I wanted to to talk about these plays because I think you know Shakespeare wrote depending on what you believe between like 36 and 38 plays and we see maybe 10 of them a lot um and maybe some of those 10 we shouldn't be seeing as much and maybe some of those 25 to 28 or whatever others we could do to see more of that's uh that's kind of how I came up with the idea to to dive into these problem plays that's gonna be an awesome season I'm looking forward to it personally (laughs) um yeah because I think that something that I've been thinking about is like shows that get produced a lot especially like shows in the public domain like we all know that Shakespeare gets produced a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's in the public domain. It doesn't cost anything to get the rights to them. When you're doing these plays so often, like you, I feel like it's so important to think of why are we producing this? Just like any other show that you're doing, why the why is so important. And that's something that I found I've been learning as a producer so much that you got to have a why and it's got to be a good why or else people aren't going to want to see it. They aren't going to enjoy it. And you're not going to have a direction for this performance. Like, and yeah, that that's going to be really interesting to hear. Like, should we be doing some of these really popular plays just because they're the more popular Shakespeare plays? Like, what is it saying? What are you trying to say with this? Yeah. And I'm very excited to like already be able to say we've recorded three of the 10 episodes already and like last season was heavy y'all it was there was a lot of hard stuff that we were talking about last season and this season definitely still has some heavy content but like the first three episodes that we've recorded have just been a blast the people who have come on to talk about these plays feel so strongly about what they're talking about and have illuminated some things about the place that I have never even thought about. So uh, I'm very excited to share this season with you all. I think it's going to be a good one. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the questions I have. We talked for a while. Yes, good. we did. <laughs> this was a blast. Thank you, Lizzie, so much for coming up with the idea to do this. I would have never thought to, but I suppose my audience has a right to like know who I am. 
a little bit. Yeah. No, yeah. I was like, when I was listening to your first season, I was like, well, you know, Michaela, you're bringing on all these great people talking about Shakespeare and learning about them, but also you're an amazing Shakespearean actor and and I would say Shakespearean scholar as well. So I think that the the world deserves to know your story. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I legitimately had a blast doing this. I miss you so much. So I miss you too. <laughs> this is a really wonderful way to get to connect with you. You as well. I'm gonna come to Colorado. Yes, please <laughs> We're do. We have a party. <laughs> Come as as we've been calling it recently. Come to Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> it just never. Well, I don't know. It's like seventy degrees today, but it's supposed to snow again next week. So. Oh my god! <laughs> it never ends. No, it doesn't. <laughs> All right. I think this is probably a good place for us to wrap up our conversation. Next week, we are kicking off season two, The Problem Plays. I actually still don't know what episode I'm going to give you guys first, but I can tell you it will either be about time in Athens or measure for measure. So I'm very excited to share that with y'all. Very excited to kick things off and we will see y'all next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Liz, myself, and Bulls with the Bard at the handles either on your screen or in the description. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps Bulls with the Bard to grow. And tune in next week as we kick off our conversations about the problem plays with a discussion about Timon of Athens with good friends of the podcast, Jeff Miller and Elizabeth Ung. Until then... Bye, y'all. A thousand, thousand sides to save, oh, lay me where sad true lover never find my grave to weep there.